these like ethical commands by saying, remember God's mercy. In view of God's mercy, do A, B, C, X, Y, Z, you know, one, two, three. See, the whole of the book of Romans, who's read Romans recently? Nobody. Great. No, right, that's right. The whole of the book of Romans is about God's mercy. For 11 chapters, chapter 1 through to 11, Paul's just been unloading all this heavy and profound and wonderful theology about God's mercy. He does that before he even tells any of us what to do. It's incredible what it actually means on the street. So let me just give you a little, like Romans in a nutshell. Romans chapter 1 to 11 in a nutshell. Chapters 1 to 3 of the book of Romans, Paul just outlines how every single person in, on the planet who's ever been has a real problem. We are sinful people. The sinfulness of humanity and that every single person is in desperate need of the mercy of God. That's chapters 1 through to 3. Then chapters 3, 4 and 5, Paul explores the wonderful doctrine of justification by faith. That God in his mercy has laid upon his son, the Lord Jesus, all of the sinfulness of humanity, past, present and future, all of the world, onto him. And he's borne our sin on the cross. And that any person who trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ will receive God's mercy, will be forgiven. So that's chapters 3, 4, and 5. Chapters 6 to 8, Paul then says, and God in his grace, like another grace, another gift, he's given us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit which is in us, renewing us, connecting us to everything that Jesus has done, renewing us, making us more like Jesus, and the Holy Spirit enabling us to live out a life shaped by the mercy of God. That's chapters 6 through to 8. And then chapters 9 to 11, Paul, like it's profound, right? Paul just like lays out... God's plan, he says, from the very beginning, his mysterious plan from the very beginning, was to make it possible that every person from every nation might have the opportunity to experience the mercy of God. Got that? It's all about the mercy of God. Chapters 1 to 11. Which makes chapters, chapter 12 verse 1 like the perfect kind of segue or banner or headline or you know, title for what's to come. How to live out the gospel in the real world, even at a vocadel, right? That's what Paul does. And so, everything in Romans 12, right, just flows out of the theology of God's miraculous mercy, centered in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus. Now, my real focus, right, we're going to get there at the end, is to think about how do we deal with, live with, at peace with difficult people, okay? But before we kind of do that, um, have a look with me. I've got two things to work through before that. God's mercy and the church. And then we're going to think about God's mercy and relationships in general before we get to difficult people. Okay? And there might be some work for us already this afternoon as we have lunch together as you meet up one-to-one with difficult people in this room. But anyway, let's think about God's mercy, God's mercy in the church. This is verses 3 through to 8. I don't know, as the Bible was read out, I don't know if you heard or you, could, you caught there that this... Section is all about serving one another in the church uh, with the gifts that God has given each one of us. Um, have a look with me, verse 5 and 6 in particular. Let's zoom in there. So we, Paul says, though many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, um, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, Paul says, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in serving 
the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, and the one who leads, let him do it with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So Paul says God has given the church, this body, a whole bunch of gifts. Now, if we, that's in verse 6, we see what those gifts are. Now, I just want to say firstly, the list of gifts that Paul gives here, I don't think are a comprehensive list of gifts. Um, so you might read those, prophecy, you know, you go, I don't, I don't know what that is, I don't do that. Uh, you might look at, you might say, gift of encouragement, I've never encouraged anything ever, particularly <laughs> at Living Word Church. Um, acts of mercy, I think I did one of those in 2002. Um, you know, you might look at that and go, I don't have these gifts. And that's okay, because this is actually not meant to be a comprehensive list of the gifts. I think it's a, like a sample, a snapshot. So if you go into another part of God's Word, 1 Corinthians, Paul's writing to a church gone wild, a bit like Living Word Church, and he writes to this church, no, not really, but he writes to this church, and he says in 1 Corinthians 12, he has another set of gifts there, which is not the same as the set of gifts we have here in Romans chapter 12. There's some crossover. But again, I think it's representative of the gifts that God has given to his church. Not comprehensive. It's just representative. There are other gifts that God has given us. The main thing I want to highlight here is that Paul says, verse 5, I've given the gifts so that the church, the body, can be built up. He uses that idea, this, this body, this family of God, which God has brought together by his mercy. And Paul says, you've been given a gift by God, you're part of this body, use the gift you've been given to build up the body. Basically says we're a family. If you're a Christian here today and you've been touched by the mercy and the grace of God, you've experienced the mercy of God, then you are intimately connected to other people who've also experienced the mercy of God as well. We're a family. And if you belong to God's family, we serve each other. That's what we call it. With the gift that God has given us. And I don't know, it's that time of year, at least for me, I don't know, I start to get a bit reflective at this time of year, even though things for me sort of feel like they're amping up to Christmas, you know, Christmas appeal and carols and gatherings and parties and Thanksgiving things. One of the things I start to do at this time of the year is I start to reflect a bit. I look back on the year that's been. And I think about the people in my church, at least, who've been serving really hard, using the gift that God has, been given, has given them light of his mercy to build up the body. And I, I've been around you guys a little bit. I don't know every single person and every single thing that you ever have done in the church. But I think a practical application here is just a moment to say on behalf of Montaz and, and Ali and, and other leaders in the church, thank you for serving. Thanks for using the gift that God has given you to build up the body of believers at Living Word Church. And I don't know, an encouragement might be, just comes to me now. You know, this afternoon, as you have lunch together, as you hang out together, maybe just thank one another. Go up to someone and say, thanks for serving. Thanks for playing music every single week at church. I don't know. Um, thank you for the way that you make great coffee. You know, but I think you could make it better. No, don't say that. <laughs> no. Um, whatever it might be, thanks to the, the leaders of the church who, who meet week in, week out, who pray regularly, who come together and to think and shape and who have hearts of concern for you and the people of, of the area. So one application here is thanks. 
Thanks for the way you have used, and you know in yourself, thank you for the way you've used the gifts that God has given you for the building up of the family of God's people at Living Word Church. On the flip side, right, maybe there's a challenge here as well to recognise the gift that God has given you and to start using it for the body of the believers at Living Word Church. I think there's a, I know this is my church, right, there's a, there's a real possibility you could be a formal member of Living Word Church, same at the church that I lead and love. The real sense you could be a you know, formal member um, of Living Word Church and yet feel like you don't really belong. And I reckon it's possible that your lack of, your sense that you don't belong, that the sense of lack of belonging could be because of the lack of serving at church. That could be a possibility. I'm just going to leave that one there. For you to think about, for you to ponder in your own heart, in the power of the Spirit. So Paul says, you've got a whole bunch of gifts. Every single Christian person has been given a gift. How are you using that for the sake of the body? We're a body, we're together. Paul says, let's be that body. God's mercy and the church. Secondly then, Paul turns to, from verses 9 through the following, to think about the mercy of God and relationships. I mean, firstly, verses sort of 9 through to 13, Paul talks about kind of relationships in general. And this section, verses 9 through to 13, is just like oozing with preciousness and gold. It is just delightful. Have a look with me. Verse 9, um, Paul says, remember, in view of God's mercy, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Now, I know Montaz, right? And I reckon he would say there's at least 10 sermons there. Right? 10, 55-minute sermons, you know, that he could write. No, but there are, right? The short ones. That's the short ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's when he sort of hasn't got too much time to pull something together. Um, I reckon there are, like, it's just amazing. Like, there is so much here. But I just want to kind of pull through all the detail and just go, did you notice how Paul really quickly moves from sort of function and serving in the church to relationships in the church? Really quickly. Um, so between verses kind of... Eight and nine, he goes from function, serving, what does it look like to be part of the body, to then sort of talk about relationships. And that's what he does all the way. And I think it's a deliberate move for the Apostle Paul. Because there's that other great passage, right, 1 Corinthians, where um, Paul, again, 1 Corinthians 12, is speaking about spiritual gifts, how God, we're one body, um, you know, all these different gifts. And then he turns straight after talking about spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians, to 1 Corinthians 13, which he's talking about what? Weddings. Yeah? No, 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 not weddings. Love! You know, 1 Corinthians 13, the passage that every other wedding has read out of it. Love, love, love. I want to know what love is. You know, you read 1 Corinthians 13. Um, it's not about weddings. Well, it can be used at a wedding, but it's about love. So what Paul says, you've got all these gifts and all this, you're one body and you've got to serve each other and build up the body. But then he sort of says, without love, hopeless. He actually says, you can have all the function and the serving, but without love, it's nothing. Love trumps everything. 
Love within the church trumps effective ministry all the time. And again, I think it's possible for some of us here, right? You've been part of Living Word Church and you're serving in all kinds of ways. But what the Apostle Paul wants you to hear today is the call to love. It's possible to be zealous in service and on every committee and serving in every single ministry, but be lacking love. Distant in your community, like your connections with your really human beings at church. Paul wants us to see that the gospel of God's mercy doesn't just shape our serving, it actually shapes more our relationships. And it's really interesting, just a real side point. I don't know if you noticed there, um, sort of in this beautiful passage, you know, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, be devoted to one another in love. Paul then drops in this verse 11 never be lacking in zeal, keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. And, and, and so in this context of relationships, right? And here's what I want to say really briefly on that. It's sort of a bit of a, an outlier. You know? Love, 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 be devoted. And then he goes, never be lacking zeal. I reckon Paul drops that in because there's a danger, right? If we are out of relationship with people in the church, that can impact on our zeal for serving the Lord. It can actually kind of interfere with if our spiritual relationships with each other are sort of out of whack, then it can really impact our zeal for the Lord. And so I don't know, like I don't want to, I want you to have a good time this afternoon when you have some lunch together. I don't want you to feel like you're doing ministry down by the river all the time. But you know, if there is someone, it's Living Word Church, and you're a little bit kind of like, don't really know about that person very much. We've had a bit of a bad history. Not looking at anyone. Um, Nick and Nick and. Montez are looking at each other a lot, yeah? <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> Ali, Ali and I probably need to do a bit of work together. No. Um, but if there, I just want to say, if there is, I think there's a... Yeah, I, I'm, I'm married, right? I'm, I'm coming up on my 17 years married to my wife, Adele. And I know, right, that when there is friction between us, like the zeal for my wife can be a little bit dampened. Right? She's not here, so I can say anything I like. Um, we were driving home from a wedding. <laughs> I took this wedding last weekend. It was beautiful. It was a wonderful day. It was like today. Sun shining by the water at North Haven. And the couple got married and they were in love. And guess what Adele and I were doing at the reception? <laughs> we had a massive fight like on the dance floor. Yeah? Um, like literally, like we're just like, rah. You know, the truth. The issue, the issue is, I'm not a very attractive man. I don't take a very good photograph. So we're standing there, right? And this guy, oh, man, photo booths. What is with photo booths? Like, so this couple, they are great. Yeah, if, but you, you probably take a great photo. I don't. So I'm standing, I'm, I'm standing there with Adele, like, in this photo booth. And, like, you know, and Adele's gorgeous. I'm not. And, like, you know, we're standing there and she presses the go button. Five, four, three, two, one. And I don't know what happens to my face, but I just go... <laughs> so Adele just keeps sitting, you know, like, you know, like there's the big X, you know, hate it, cross. She's going, Simon, look better. You know, and, and I'm like... Doing wrong, you know. So it's five, four, three, two, one. Ugh, you know, like, and, then, and then she's just like, seriously, you're hopeless, and she just walks off. And there's, you know, there's the book for the couple that you're meant to put the photo in and write a lovely note and that sort of stuff. And I think Adele was about to tear a photo in half and just stick herself in. It. Oh, it's bad. So we have this massive fight, 
And um, oh, oh man, on the way home, like we left the wedding at about ten thirty. Man, it was like ice. Like it was cold between Adele and I. And I don't know about you guys, but I sat in the car um, and I'm driving, and Adele's sitting there, and there was just silence. And um, and I. I doesn't happen all that often, so we have a good relationship. But like, we are, she's sitting there, and I'm driving along, nothing. Like, she's looking out the window, and I'm just like, what am I going to do? Like, this is not good. And so, so I, I said, so, um, how was that cup of coffee you had with a friend on Wednesday, like, you know, Julie on Wednesday? And Adele just goes, why do you care? And I'm like, okay, next question. You know, like, you know. <laughs> Anyway, all that to say, I don't want to talk about myself too much more, but um, there, there, was, there, there was friction between us, and there was a sense in which I wanted to re-establish that friendship, that relationship, so we could get on and, and do life together. You know, zeal for our marriage, if you were that. And I, I wonder if that Paul drops that in, because in the context of church and things like that, there can be friction between people even beyond with people outside of the church. And I think that can impact our zeal for the Lord. And I want to encourage us today, if that is your situation, like, talk to that person. Sort things out. Um, make, make amends. Keep... I want to make a comment. Yeah. The easy way to fix that situation that you walk into yeah. is to say, I do it, I was wrong, I'm sorry. It's very true. Same thing in the church, and that's what it says in the Bible. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. Confess it to each other yep. and solve most of the problems. Yeah, amen. Yeah, yeah. No, it's good. Helpful. Really helpful. Yeah, that's it, mate. That's what we're done. Yeah. Um, but I think there's that strong call here today in, that, in this little section as well. You can be doing millions and millions and millions of things, spending millions of hours serving the church, but if you're lacking love, there's a real call here to love. Love trumps all our ministries. Paul wants us to see that the gospel of his mercy doesn't shape just how we serve, but it really impacts our relationships in general, inside and outside the church. And then Paul, here you are, in the final sort of section, I think, verses 14 through 21, helps us to, to work hard and see how, how, what it means to live with and live at peace with difficult people. Um, so verses 14 through 21, uh, difficult people. Verse 14, Paul says, Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but willing to associate with people of low position. Um, Do not be conceited, don't be arrogant, do not be stuck up. Verse 17, do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And, And you read that, I read that and go, whoa, like how do you do that? How do you bless people who persecute you? How do you bless and do not curse? How do you do that? And this is the point, right, in this whole kind of talk this morning where you've got to come back to what I said right back at the very beginning, how the gospel and ethics kind of hangs together. It's not just do this and you'll look like a Christian. It's more, no, know the gospel and that will empower you to live in this particular way. And Paul says, remember chapter 12, verse 1, in view of God's Mercy, say it with me, in view of God's mercy, then you can do A, B, C, X, Y, Z, 1, 2, 3. If you forget that, you're going to get totally lost. But if you hang on to that, living this way kind of begins to make sense. It actually becomes logical. A lot of God's mercy 
it becomes logical to live in this particular way. Because the gospel of God's mercy towards sinful people makes it possible, actually makes it logical to love the unlovely, to love difficult people, to bless those who curse. I mean, after all, right, God loved us. God loved me. Came to us with blessing. In Jesus, God blessed persecutors. In Jesus, God mourned with those who mourned. In Jesus, God associated with people of low position. The living God in the gospel does not repay evil for evil, does he? No, he, he meets evil with love. And as a result, God himself does what the final verse of chapter 12 calls us to do in our relationships. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's what the gospel does. We in our rebellion to God, we in our sinful rebellion are turning our back on God. That's not met with the vengeance and the wrath of God that it deserves, but with the God who is willing to lay himself down on an old wooden cross at Calvary 2,000 years ago so that what would happen? That you and me might be forgiven and right with God and embraced into his family. I mean, the wonder of the gospel, I think it's John Stott, I can't remember if it's John Stott or Packer who says this, but Stott says, you know, justification by faith, that sort of legal kind of reality of us being at right with God, that's wonderful, but even better than that is adoption into his family. This is the gospel. And Paul says, in light of God's mercy, in light of the gospel, live the gospel. Now, you might be wondering, right, what does that heaping, burning coals bit kind of mean? That doesn't sound very loving or merciful. That sounds, that sounds like a great way, actually, to deal with difficult people. Um, heaps and burning coals on their head. Well, let me just nip that in the bud. It's just an ancient sort of figure of speech for basically shaming your enemy with kindness. That's what it means. Anyway, my big point, right, is this. If you know... That at the centre of the universe is the God who loves the unlovable, the God who loves sinners, then you have a logic, right, for getting along with, well, all people, even the difficult ones. The gospel frees us to live at peace with difficult people. And right, we know, right, that in our sin, right, we are all difficult people. You are looking at a difficult person. Mm-hmm. Saved only by the mercy of God. If my wife was here, she'd be like holding a banner up saying, yes, he's a difficult person. And I'd be right back at you. um, I can say that because she's not here. We know that in our sin, we too are a difficult person. And yet God comes to us with blessing and love. In view of God's mercy, this makes sense. I'm not saying it's easy, but it makes sense. Remember uh, chapter 6 to 8, God has given us his Holy Spirit, not just to connect us to all the things that Jesus has achieved so that we get the benefit of those, but he's sent uh, his Holy Spirit into us. He dwells in us, making us more like Jesus, renovating us to live like Jesus, to love like Jesus, more and more and more until we see him. We're not going to perfect it. When we see him and enjoy him forever, we'll be ready for that. But in the meantime, he's helping us to do this. If you've got mercy called to love difficult people. It makes sense. Okay, can I do a thought experiment with you? 
You like thought experiments? What? Yeah. This is a thought, a thought experiment. Thought. Thought. Yeah, yeah. All right. Can you close your eyes? Close your eyes. If, you want this, if this helps you do the thought experiment. Here you go. Here's the thought experiment. Um, I'll do it. Um, I want you to, as you close your eyes, I want you to think, bring to mind the most difficult person or the most difficult people in your life right now. Ali's thinking about me. No, um, just think about that. Who's the most difficult, the most difficult person, the most difficult people in your life? Now ask yourself this question, thinking about those people. Do you believe that the insult they've caused you is greater than the insult your sins have caused Almighty God? Keep thinking about those people. Another question. Do you believe it's more logical for God to bless you than for you to bless your difficult people? And open your eyes. The gospel right frees us. Frees us and empowers us to live at peace with difficult people. And again, I wonder, will you resolve right now? Like, you know, to leave Avoca, Dell, Caravan Park, you know, and, and you know, as you head out with a fresh vision of God's mercy, to, to bless where there is cursing, to pursue peace where there is friction. As Paul says, do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. The gospel empowers us. Holy Spirit empowers us to pursue peace with difficult people. But I love that, right? Verse 18, right? If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So yes, on one side, we're called here to, to live at peace with everyone, to pursue peace with difficult people. And yet there's also this wonderful reality here in verse 18 that sometimes we won't be at peace with everyone. And actually that's okay. Sometimes you won't be liked by everyone. And actually that's okay. I don't know, um, I don't know if some of you... Um, Struggle with what I struggle, the pathological desire to be liked by everyone. Everyone has that? Anyone else want to identify with me today? Desire to be liked? Yeah, thanks, Nick. Just you and me, mate. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have this pathological desire to be liked by everyone. Like when, so I, when, I'm, when I hear that someone kind of doesn't, like, you know, like when Adele says, you don't look very good in photos, I'm like, but I want you to like me in photos. Like, you know, but, you know, I, you know when, I, when I hear someone's like a little bit out of sorts with me, I'm like, oh my gosh, who are they? Give me the name. I want to sort this out. You know, I can't possibly bear to live. I can't go to sleep tonight until this is all sorted out. Like I have this pathological need to be liked by everyone. And I wonder if this is just a beautiful word to me and to Nick today. Um, that it's okay. It's okay that sometimes we can't be at peace with everyone. It's okay sometimes not to be liked by everyone. It's a wonderful freedom we have in the gospel as well. You know, at a, at a societal level, at a church level, you know, more and more, perhaps more and more today, um, the, the churches, church families that are seeking to live in accordance with the scriptures, to uphold gospel ethics in our world, are increasingly becoming sort of more and more 
noticeably different to the world around us. And so there are people in the community around us who look at the things that we hold to in light of the scriptures and people don't like us for that. It's a reality. The society is not always going to like the church. Never has. But also at an individual level, right? We all have difficult people who perhaps even today we're not really at peace with. But one, here's the thing I want to say. As long as you are pursuing peace and not revenge, as long as you're pursuing blessing, not cursing, then it's okay to not be liked by everyone. Because here's the thing, right? If you are confident in God's love, if you know that he has accepted you, if you know that you are at peace with your maker, then you can bear the fact that not everyone's going to like you. And when you're secure in the Lord, you can put up with people thinking you're a bit of a twit sometimes. Like, that's me, right? The more we know just how deeply loved we are in God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the more we know that the one who we really want to be accepted by, our maker, God, our maker, he actually loves you more than you'll ever know. The more we know that, the free we are to live in the world, even when people don't like us very much. It's a wonderful freedom. So secure in our Saviour. So confident in Christ. You know, I mentioned before, I have this pathological desire to be liked. It's a real danger when you're a pastor and you have that issue as well. So I'm a pastor. Um, and in my church, at City Light Church in North Adelaide, I, I like the idea that everyone likes me. I like the idea that everyone sort of thinks, yeah, Jacko, he's really lovely. I like everything he says. I want, you know, like, it's not true. They don't think everything I say is good. But there's that desire, right? They're pulled and want to liked by everyone. I'm not saying Montez has the same problem. He's got other problems, right? But no. Um, <laughs> but... What I, what, what I really want to call you to do, right, is as a church, and you know, Montez shared before, there's a desire, a prayer that, that the Lord would, would raise up people, bring people into this church who can contribute and, and we could see growth at Living Word Church. And that's a wonderful thing. But I also want to call you to pray for the leaders of Living Word Church. That as they gather week in, week out for their various meetings, that they wouldn't be driven by a desire to be liked by everyone. They would be driven by a desire for what is best for the church and for the glory of God. Would you pray for them along those lines? They wouldn't be driven by a desire to be liked, but be driven by a desire for what is, what is best for the church and best for the glory of God. That would be a good thing to pray for. It applies to all our relationships. You've also probably got a bunch of difficult relationships. I want to say the more you know the mercy that God has shown you, to, you know, towards you in the Lord Jesus Christ, the more at ease you'll be with the fact that sometimes it just doesn't work out. And that's okay. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As I close, right, about to finish, um, I think there are kind of two different people that you know, are in the room when they hear a message like this. Um, there's, the, there's the first group who are the people who have really tender consciences. So they hear Romans chapter 12, the call to live at peace with everyone and, and be devoted to one another and love and all this and stuff and, and reconcile tricky relationships. And you're going, oh my gosh, I feel so guilty. Like I'm thinking of all these people I've got to sort out. 
I, want, I think the Lord wants you to hear today that it's actually okay that you, you're not at peace with absolutely every single person in your life. And that's okay. It's not a call, therefore, to pursue revenge or anything like that, but it's actually just, if, you, if you're a tender conscience person, it's okay. It's okay that you're not at peace with everyone. It's okay. Then there's the flip side, right? Then there's the person in the room, maybe, who has that sort of not very tender conscience. Well, you know, you, you hear Romans chapter 12 and you go, yes, this is justification for not finding peace. You know, this is, this is, this is, this is justification for continuing my kind of bullish, revenge-like behaviour. And you're going, yes. You know what I think the Lord wants you to hear today? I think he wants to hear that you would show a bit more of the compassion of the Lord Jesus towards people. Temper some of that sort of righteousness maybe with the compassion, the grace, the mercy of God. I'm going to leave that in the room for the Spirit to do His work and to convict you in the right kind of way because that's be wrong for me to kind of walk around and go, yes, tender conscience, like so. Let's just leave it there. We all, we all are difficult people, yeah? We're all difficult people. We've all grieved the heart of God. We've all cheated on God. And yet God in his kindness pursues us. God has shown us mercy beyond our deserving. So let's pursue peace. As far as we're able. Today, tomorrow, this week, all the way through the silly season. Um, for, the, for the glory of God, first and foremost. But also for our own joy. And for the joy of our church family. Let me lead us in prayer. Let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you so much uh, for your good word. Uh, Lord, we, we praise you this morning uh, for the word made flesh. Father, as we think about um, the season we're sort of entering into, this season we remember that um, you came into the world in the person of your son. You wrapped yourself in flesh. Uh, so we remember Emmanuel, God with us. We thank you, Father, that you've come into our broken, sinful, messed up world. You've given us, Father, the greatest gift this Christmas that we remember. Father, we thank you. We remember, we're reminded, Father, that you gave us the gift of Jesus' life. Father, we thank you. You've given us the gift of Jesus' death. You've given us the gift of Jesus' resurrection. And for those things, Father, we thank you that we have a Saviour who identifies with us. Father, we have a saviour who laid down his life for us. And a saviour who took his life up again and is alive and well today. Thank you, Father, for your love for us. Father, thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for giving us real joy. But Lord, we thank you above all things, Father, that you've given us yourself. Father, and that we know that you are with us by your spirit every step of the way until we see you and enjoy you forever. Lord, as we live in this world, help us to live like Jesus and to love like Jesus in light of your mercy. Father, I pray for Living Word Church, Lord God, that, Father, you would knit this group of people together in love deeper and deeper. That, Father, as you do that, um, you would, that the love that is in this family of your people, this body, Father, would ooze out into the surrounding suburbs and would draw people in. Father, I pray uh, with thanks to those who've served this year. 
Father, thank you for their effort, their, their time, their talents. Father, thank you for the contributions they've made, small and great, to the life and the, the, the body of, of your people here at Living Word. And Lord, thank you, Father, that your gospel penetrates all of our relationships. And Lord, I pray. I pray, Father, for those of us here today who have tricky relationships with people inside and outside the church. Empower us, equip us to sort things out, to maintain our zeal for you, Father, that as we are able to, I live at peace with each other for your glory and our joy. And Lord, we praise you and thank you for speaking to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.